The coming of the Lord is near. Well, that's about 14 days to be exact, right? Are you prepared? Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? And we have been on a journey over these last weeks to prepare the way, to prepare our hearts, to embrace the themes of Christmas and to begin to meditate upon them and to begin to allow them to be manifest in our lives. So we've prepared the way for hope. We've prepared the way for peace. Today we prepare the way for joy. We embrace these themes of Christmas and and pray that we can realize them in our lives each and every day. Yes, we anticipate December 25th. But we also realize that each day and each moment of each day, we are called to prepare the way for the coming and for the experience of the Lord, for His ultimate and glorious return, but also for His experience in our lives each and every day. As we look through the Scripture and we focused on these passages in Matthew, we've, we've noticed some things in preparing. We noticed that, that Noah knew that the Lord was coming and He would be manifested in, in a flood. And so what did Noah do to prepare? Well, he, he built an ark and he prepared his family. Last week we saw John the Baptist go out into the wilderness and began to preach and to, to prepare God's people for the coming of Messiah And he preached a message of repentance, of turning from our sin and of embracing this new kingdom of God. And today, as we prepare the way for joy and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, we again look at the story, this final story in Matthew's gospel of John. We find John in Matthew chapter 11 in a prison cell, in a prison cell of Herod Antipas. Now, don't raise your hand. Have you ever been in jail? <laughs> Have you ever been in a prison cell? I've got a good friendship with the Sher- Sheriff Lester here in town, and he called me up one day. It was before the, the new Cleveland County Jail opened up. And he said, why don't you come out and I'll show you around. And he said, you know, I don't have a problem arresting pastors, so just come on out and I'll, I'll show you around where you may be one day, right? But it was fascinating to, to go in and, and all the concrete, all the, uh, all the secure doors, stainless steel, thick, bulletproof glass, plexiglass, whatever it was. It was a secure place. No windows to see the world outside. One of the most powerful experiences I had was as a college student. I was a part of the University Singers. If some of you that have been here for a while remember that, uh, that Don Blackley, when he was doing college ministry or, or, or music ministry, and he had a, a university choir. And at the end of every year, he would take the choir down into Texas and go and, and do ministry in, in some of the prisons. And I believe even here in the state of Oklahoma, he would take the, the youth choir down to Lexington and some other places and allow our students to minister to those in prison. I think Jesus says something like that. So we went down to Huntsville. Huntsville is like our McAllister. It's, it's a place where they have maximum security prisons, their death row. We went down and our group of, 
of 20 or 30 students. We were having a great time. We were enjoying being together. We had just finished finals, and we were, we were through for a few weeks. And we went to this prison in Huntsville. And we began to make our way through some of the corridors, and, and we came to this steel gate. And it kind of sobered us up a little bit as we were, were looking at that. And then as the guard came out, as he, he slid that huge gate to the side, and we began to walk into the, the prison cell back where the prisoners were. And then without any warning or preparation right behind us, this door crashes to and it, 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 it collides with that door and it clicks loud and it scared us. It shook us because we realized that we were in prison. And without the mercy of the guards who had just let us in, we weren't going to get out. Maybe your prison isn't a, a prison cell with bars and walls. Maybe you've experienced prisons of relationships. Maybe you felt like you were a prison in your, in your work and you just were trapped. I think in some sense we've all experienced this loss, this, ref- this confinement of being in prison. And so as we look at Matthew 11 and we see that John the Baptist is in, in a prison cell, we have to, to begin to understand who John was. Remember, John was, he was a carefree guy. He was the one that was out in the wilderness. He, he wore rough clothing and, and, and ate locusts and honey. And here he was in a prison cell, most likely without any windows or light. There's a Roman historian, a a historian from antiquity, who described one of the uh, the, the famous prison cells in Rome. In fact, this particular prison was built back in the 7th century B.C. And here's how he described this prison. Listen to the language of this particular prison cell. He says it was built 12 feet underground. And its appearance was disgusting and vile because of the filth and the darkness and the stench that existed within. Now, I don't know if this is the exact, this, I know this isn't the prison that John the Baptist was in, but it was a, a Roman prison of that contemporary time. And here John found himself in Herod Antipas' prison. Most likely it was in the area in the wilderness where he had been preaching, most likely east of the Dead Sea. And you can't help but imagine John finding himself in that prison cell, knowing that in that day, Roman prisoners didn't go to prison cell to sit for years. It was typically just a holding cell before their death sentence was carried out. And so I would imagine that in a dark, damp place that smelled horrible, that John finds himself Afraid, anxious, restless, longing, maybe trying to recover a sense of joy and and purpose 
And Matthew 11 tells us that John's hearing reports. He, he's hearing reports from those that would come and go of, about Jesus and, and His new ministry. And, and remember, Jesus is the one that, that John the Baptist had said, here is the one that comes after me. Here is the Messiah that comes to inaugurate and to bring in the kingdom of God. John had come preaching a, a message of repentance. Someone described John's preaching as that of judgment with divine holiness, with divine destruction. When John preached, he gave a message that was a warning. It was a threat. That's one of the reasons he found himself in prison, because he was condemning Herod Antipas and his uh, trading wives with his brother Herodias. And there marriage and relationship and John condemned that and that's what ultimately laid him in prison and so John was preaching this message of repentance and and of judgment remember as the Pharisees and Sadducees would come out to to hear him preach he would say you brood of vipers the axe is about to be laid to the roots of the system and the kingdoms that you've experienced John preached this message of judgment, of repentance. It's a message that was very familiar from the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 35 verse 4 says this. This summarizes the prophetic message. It says, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. But could it be that as John was in this prison cell, that, that he was hearing a different message that was coming about? And maybe he became concerned or confused or frustrated. Maybe he just needed a little clarification from Jesus, reassuring him, John, that Jesus was the one that was coming after him. And so John, as, as I'm sure he had visitors at times, was able to, to communicate with some of his disciples. And he told his disciples to go and to find Jesus. And to ask Jesus if he is indeed the expected one. Jesus, John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one that he was preparing for in his own ministry? And we know that two of John's disciples became Jesus' disciples. Andrew is specifically mentioned. And we suspect that John, the Apostle John, is the other of the apostles. And so you can imagine John's disciples leaving the prison and going out and seeking Andrew and, and seeking John and saying, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Jesus' ministry. And, and, and John is confused. He, he, he wants to know and make sure before he dies that Jesus is indeed the expected one. For you see, Jesus wasn't preaching a message of divine holiness with divine judgment. Jesus was preaching a message of divine holiness with divine love. He was preaching a message of sacrificial love and of new life, redemption. Could it be that John was confused that Jesus was focusing his ministry in, in Galilee, around the, the Sea of Galilee and, and Capernaum in that area, instead of really focusing in Jerusalem where we knew the Messiah was going to come and conquer and make himself known. Are you the expected one, Jesus? Because why are you in Galilee and not in Jerusalem? 
Maybe John was hearing reports of Jesus' teaching, teaching that would have certainly been different than, than John's approach and John's understanding of his mission. Maybe John was hearing that Jesus was preaching, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the poor in spirit. We need to turn the other cheek. We need to walk the extra mile. We need to, to give our extra coat. We need to not judge, lest we will be judged. In fact, we need to love our enemy. This, this wasn't exactly the message that John had brought. So, was Jesus continuing Jesus's, was, was Jesus continuing John's message, or was this something new? Jesus, are you the expected one? And I can just hear Jesus and, and his disciples listening to John's disciples and their concerns. And, and Jesus says, here, go back and tell John what you've heard from me as I've taught. Go back and tell John what you've seen as we've gone out into these places and as you've seen the power of God manifest in these places. Matthew eleven five. 5. Jesus quotes the prophets. Go and tell John that the blind receive sight and the lame walk. Go and tell John that the leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear. Go and tell John that the dead are raised up. Go and tell John that the poor are having good news preached to them. Go and tell John that the reports that he is hearing are not wrong. Go and tell John to remember that the Messiah of Israel is not just a God who comes in power. But the Messiah is one who comes to bring life and healing and joy in the desert and the wildernesses of our lives. So I quoted from Isaiah 35.4 just a minute ago that, that when this Messiah comes, he will come with vengeance. But if you keep reading... Notice how the prophet, how the Messiah will also come. In verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Oh, John, don't you see that yes, I've come to, to proclaim to repent and come and follow me. But as a part of this repentance, I've also brought new life and healing. I've, I've allowed the blind to see and, and the deaf to hear and the mute can now shout for joy. Oh, John, don't you see that this is the continuation of your ministry? This is the fulfillment of the prophets. John, rejoice with joy because I am the expected one. But notice this last word in, in 11.6, Matthew 11.6, that, that Jesus sends back to John. It, it's a new beatitude, if you would allow me to say that. And Jesus says, tell John this, blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. John, you've, you've, maybe you've misunderstood a little bit. Maybe you're a little offended by the message that I am bringing. It's not exactly what you thought it was. 
Jesus says, blessed, happy, joyful are those who, who, who aren't offended by me, who, who maybe their, their misunderstandings and their misinterpretations have, have clouded a little bit of who I am. John, don't let those misconceptions and misunderstandings cause you to doubt and to misunderstand and to offend you, but rather embrace and receive me as the Messiah. William Barclay kind of takes this conversation and kind of develops it in his own way. And he puts this idea like this. He says, John, in Jesus speaking, I may not be what you expected, but I am the Messiah. The power of evil is being defeated, not by irresistible power, not by sheer force, but rather by an unanswerable love, by a sacrificial love. John, this is the power of the kingdom of heaven. This is the power of the Messiah who comes, not in irresistible sheer force, but rather in a gracious and generous and unanswerable love. John, believe and trust in this. And if you will, then you will find yourself blessed. You'll be able to rejoice. Are you the expected one? John, believe and be blessed in this. So Jesus sends his disciples back, but then he continues on to reflect a little bit more on John the Baptist. Notice in in Matthew 11, verse 7, as these men are going away, they're going back to, to, to report to John. Jesus has a crowd that's been gathered and he begins to talk to them and, and he's talking to them about John's ministry because John's in, in prison and so many of those who would have been following John have found their way up to Galilee and are, are following after Jesus. And look, look at what Jesus says. He asks the same question, I think, three times. What did you go into the wilderness to see? Verse seven, verse 8, but what did you go out to see? Verse 9, But what did you go out to see? You guys went out to the wilderness, into the desert, to to see something. What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a a reed shaken in the wind? Interesting that Herod Antipas, on the coins that he distributed, had a reed on them. So there's the, the allusion to the Roman ruler, who was known for his corruption and his wickedness who is known for his political corruption of kind of bending whichever way the winds of politics were flowing at the particular time. Did you go out in the wilderness to see a shaken reed, Herod Antipas? Remember, his palace is out in the wilderness in the desert. And then to make sure or to to clarify the illusion in verse 8, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. You didn't go out in the desert to see someone wearing soft clothing in a, in a palace, did you? You didn't have to go see John the Baptist who was wearing animal skins and eating locusts and, and eating honey. That's who you went to see. And then he goes on. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. You went out to see John. And then Jesus goes on. And I tell you, one who is more than a prophet... 
Jesus is helping us to understand the impact and the importance of John. He says John is, was, was a great man. He was, he was, there was not a greater prophet. John was the final prophet. He was, he was the end of a prophetic line. He was the end of the Old Testament, if you would. He was the end of an old way of relating to God. And notice what Jesus says as he continues on there in those verses. Verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's not, been, not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the, laws, uh, and the law prophesied until John. But now something new has come, something different. The kingdom of heaven has been birthed through Jesus and now it's being inaugurated through his ministry. And those that come after John will be greater than John. Well, how can that be? Because John was the greatest. Because in the kingdom of heaven, through the experience of Christ, we now can live in the power of the cross and of the resurrection. And those that came before Jesus, including the greatest, John the Baptist himself, never experienced and lived in the power of the cross and of the resurrection. They looked forward and anticipated a Messiah coming. But those after John now can live in the power, the cross, the power of His resurrection, the power of the Spirit of God that indwells within us. And so now Jesus says that those who come after John will be greater not because of anything that we've done or, or who we are, but because of what Christ did on the cross, in the empty tomb, and in sending the Spirit of God to live and dwell within us. What did you go out to see? Is the question that Jesus asks. John Excuse me, Jesus was announcing a new kingdom. So as we reflect on the Christmas story, as we prepare for the Christmas story, we can relate to the angels who show up on that Christmas Eve night and proclaim to the shepherds, Behold, I have good news of great joy. A Savior has been born for you. God is with us in a new and deeper and more intimate way than ever before. In the Christ child, God has broken into our world to love and to redeem and to reconcile that which is lost and broken and hurting. And this is new. And this is good news. And this is great news. And this is news that is worthy of joy. So let us prepare the way for joy. And let's take a few moments to reflect on these questions over these next day, days. As you look to the birth of Jesus on Christmas morning, is, is He the expected one? Is He the one you're looking for? Do you receive Him as Emmanuel, as Messiah? Or are you looking for something else, you think? Jesus is the expected one. 
Second question, what do you see and hear? What do you see and hear as you read Scripture, as you study the life of Jesus in His ministry? What do you see and hear? What do you see and hear amongst His people and amongst His church, those that are living that redeemed life of salvation, that are loving and caring for others? What do you see and hear in them? And finally, what did you go out to see? As you're preparing for Christmas, what are you looking for? Are you looking for Santa Claus? Is that what you're looking for? Or are you looking for Messiah, the expected one? What are you looking for this Christmas season? In Jesus Christ, the Messiah comes into the desert and the wildernesses of our lives. In Jesus Christ, our eyes are opened, our ears are unplugged, our infirmities are healed, our tongues are loosed to shout for joy. We are freed from the prisons of our lives. Church, this is good news. And this is news worth rejoicing over. So let us prepare the way and let us rejoice for Christ is born. Let's pray.